0: So, Patty, I really had a, enjoyed our conversation uh, with Kevin from Retail Cloud. I actually didn't even know that Retail Cloud was going after restaurants, but here they got some of this amazing cutting edge order technology and yes. ticketing and just a bunch of really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, really cool. In fact, like you, I did not realize I were going after the restaurant um, vertical until they approached me and said, hey, we have this cool QR code technology we're using. You know, are you, are you interested in talking about it? And I was really glad I learned a lot. I know you learned yeah. a lot. Yeah, I did. And I did. Tell us and, about uh, the uh, insiders. Ah, interchange under attack from federal regulators. Um, you know, and James and I have a pretty long discussion about that. But I think the message is that, you know, it's very possible that regulation could be coming. Um, and there needs, you know, there's going to be some changes, I think. Yeah, and, I, and um, this,
0: In case you're wondering, like, this is super relevant to you as an individual sales rep or ISO yeah. owner or executive. I mean, this is like, this is a slippery slope. So yeah, this is yeah, scary stuff. Is. This is game over industry stuff that we got to keep an eye on because if this happens the wrong way, it's a big problem. So,
1: and, yeah. and, you know, and the fact is, is that, you know, let's not forget the merchants have really large lobbying forces. Yes. We need to sort of start channeling. You know this industry needs to start channeling its 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 resources yeah. um, towards fending off something like this. Yeah, and, and, and at least then, being
0: aware of it. So yeah, yeah. then the questions from the field. Um, I gave some kind of random uh, thoughts today of some ideas that people are just not doing, and so I talk about this reality as we shift as an industry towards integrated payments verticalization. What's happening is everybody understands that's the direction we're going, but nobody seems to be doing anything about it, especially the individual agents and the ISOs. So I talked today about two things that you can actually do to dramatically increase retention, to partner with your salespeople, to really take advantage of the trend. It's like we don't nobody needs to guess. We all Mm -hmm. know the direction it's going. So the question is, how are you going to profit from it? And that's what I talk about today is two ways we can do that. Um, This episode is brought to you by Valor Paytech, uh, really the leader in omni-channel technology for that small to medium merchant out there, and especially as it relates to cash discounting. So processor agnostic, check them out. And by the way, let me mention, they are going to be at all of the shows this year. They are the headline sponsor of every single show. So definitely, definitely look them up, get a demo while you're there. Or you can go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R.
2: Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast.
1: Well, everybody, uh, today James and I have lined up an interview with uh, Kevin Colasso. He's the CEO at Retail Cloud. How you doing today, Kevin?
3: I'm doing well, Patty. How about you?
1: Doing wonderful. Hey, it's March. You know, winter's almost over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, before we get started, Kevin, uh, we always like to you know hear about people's journey to this space. Uh, you know, how did you get into merchant services, and what led you to um, start Retail Cloud?
3: well you know how i got into merchant services is, a, is a, a story from way back when in the 80s i was in the financial industry i was uh leading a, a issuing program uh-huh. and um acquisition you know like this new thing happened where acquisition was uh was being taken over by technology right and i looked at that and i said hey i want to be part of that it uh-huh. was much more interesting than issuing
1: oh yeah I, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> yep. So you've been at this. I know you founded uh, Retail Cloud. What was around two thousand eight? Uh, yeah, I
3: founded Retail Cloud in two thousand eight. Before that, I was involved with a company called PayNet Transactions. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I left the space for a few years and um, uh, you know decided to look at point of sale and um, the different things that point of sale was doing, the different things that uh, folks are doing with the cloud, and um, we founded Retail Cloud and um, and I've been playing in that space since then.
1: Well, you know, I mean, 2008, 2022—that's a pretty long span. I, 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 I sometimes like to ask this, try not to make it an open-ended question, but you know, how much do you, how much change have you seen over the last 14 years in terms of, you know, the ISO and and the processing um, side of the acquiring arm?
3: Yeah, it's been it's been quite a ride because uh, you know we started out as an enterprise solution. In mm-hmm. the S&E, the sports and uh, entertainment space, mm-hmm. uh, but it's been quite a ride in the time frame. We've seen uh, the race to zero and uh, that uh, payment space has gone through and now we've seen the three point eight, four, five, six, whatever percent that is, right. <laughs> With the cash discounting. And, um, right. you know, uh, the industry obviously has gone through a lot of changes. We've seen that. Uh, the uh, incursion of uh, non-traditional payment partners, mm-hmm. like Square and Shopify. Uh, we've uh, always set out to build a payment agnostic uh, company. Uh-huh. And uh, that's kind of what we've stayed true with. We, we understand the payment space. We're not in the payment space because we value our relationship with our partners, not because we don't understand the payment space, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So totally, totally.
3: Yeah. So, you
0: know, as we talk about technology, and of course the title today and the the topic really is how do we leverage technology to help merchants? And of course, retail cloud has been at the forefront there for a long time. Um, talk about QR codes a little bit. Uh, you know, Patty and I were both impressed with the way that your your company leverages QR codes for ordering and things like that. And I know that's, it's interesting. It's a hot technology, but it's also kind of an older technology, um, but it's one that a lot of consumers have have embraced. So talk about how you're leveraging QR codes.
3: Yeah, so uh, James, I got to apologize because I my I can't do a short answer, but I'll try to here. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> At least
1: bit, Try, try for an elevator pitch,
3: you know? Yeah. Right. Well, I, you know, QR codes have gone to an interesting transition. If you remember in the old days when you wanted to order online, you'd open that kitchen drawer, find the menus, right. and then figure out what you wanted and then call That's how QR codes are today. You scan a QR code, you get a menu, you use your two fingers to make that screen larger, and then you wait for the server. The evolution of QR codes is the same thing as the evolution of online ordering. QR codes can allow smart QR codes can allow a guest to scan a QR code and immediately connect it to the kitchen, connect it to the expedited, connect to the server, place an order, do modifies, you know, do a whole lot more than what they're doing today. The pandemic has accelerated that conversion for merchants and for and for diners because now they're willing to take and they want to actually take more control of the entire order experience. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, if I can just sort of follow up on that, you talk about smart QR codes. And I'm w- wondering if you can explain for our audience and to me, what is a smart QR code and how does it differ from a traditional QR code?
3: Well, a traditional QR code is sort of what I said, I was talking about earlier, the opening the kitchen door and pulling out the menu. The sm- All you do, all the sm- the traditional QR code does is it displays a menu. Okay. The smart QR QR code is meant to do a whole lot more. It's really meant to leverage the technology of connecting you to the restaurant and allowing you to engage with the server. You you want a glass of water? You don't have to wait. You can just do that through that smart QR code. You want to order another round of drinks? That simple.
1: Yeah. 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 I like it. I like it. So this is, as I understand it, is what your product that you call Ticket, am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes. T-I-K-T, Ticket. Um, You know, I'm getting the sense that this was an outgrowth of some of your earlier technological innovations. Um, And maybe you can sort of speak to what Ticket does and, um, you know, how it interacts with the back. I mean, that's basically what you're talking about, right? It's a smart QR code solution.
3: Correct, yeah. Ticket is basically an order management and fulfillment process. Okay. It's the same, it, it, it is built on the rails of the same product that we use for online and off, off online fulfillment. Uh-huh. It's also built on the same rails that uh, uh, pro teams like the Seattle Cri- Kraken are using for the in-seat ordering. It allows the server, it allows a guest to connect to the restaurants, to a printer in the restaurant, to the Mm -hmm. PDS in the restaurant, um, to the server directly using apps that they can download on their devices or on their phones. And it allows them to do all this without changing their current POS system. And that's really a big key because most people love their POS systems.
1: Right, right, excuse me. And um, I mean, it strikes me, and we've talked about this with several other guests in the past, with all of the uh, staff shortages, particularly in restaurants, this must be a, a really great response to that, right? And and also, I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate on sort of what uh, the uh, consumer reaction has been. You know, what's been your experience with your restaurant clients as well as their cu- customers?
3: Yeah, the restaurant clients love it because it really allows them to address the staffing shortage that they all face. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not just in the front of the house, but also in the back of the house. Right. Uh, consumers love it because they're able to take that entire dining experience in their own hands. I mean, they can place orders. They don't and and they don't have to check out after every order. They can place multiple orders. Mm-hmm, you know, right? uh, and I, I I do this all the time. I forget to order the roasted Brussels sprouts, and then I see someone walking by, and I want. I wish I had done that. Now I, it's very easy for me to do that. Right. Restaurants also love it because it creates a lift in the average ticket. Servers love it because we have seen an increase in tips as well. You
1: can you quantify that at all?
3: Yeah, we're seeing a nine to fourteen percent increase in uh, average ticket. That's the typical lift. We're seeing it started out at nine. It's now getting in the eleven to twelve percent range on average ticket size in restaurants.
1: Wow! Wow! Yeah,
3: and um, server, you know, servers, we don't we don't really have a lot of data on what tips were ahead of yeah yeah sure. So I can't quantify that but other people um, who have um, who have quantified it say that that increases anywhere from 12 to 18 percent above the previous tip level.
1: And, and with less work really right? because they yes. you know one of the things I always hate about being in a restaurant is getting the, the server's attention so I can get that other soda or the bread or whatever, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. And servers become concierges, basically. They become ambassadors for the, for the restaurant and right. creating a great experience. So you're seeing a lot of return visits. And with, with Ticket, one of the things that we recently introduced was a concept called um, a preference, recency, frequency, and monetary. We call it PRFM.
1: Uh-huh. Within
3: the server app, they can see what the guest preferences are based upon their history. They can see when they're last visited. What, how many times they visit, what the total value of, that, of their spend is. It really allows them to tailor experiences what their allergies are. Uh, it allows really? Now that's in. very
1: cool. Yeah, right.
3: So it allows them to tailor experiences for guests. You know, you know, guests come in, they always want to sit outside.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, the, you know, the, you know that you can say what they see inside. Would you like me to let you know if an outside table opens up? Right,
1: right. Now,
0: so I want to dig into this a little bit more. You know, you mentioned something earlier that I actually wasn't aware of. You were saying that Ticket is, um, you know, in some ways POS agnostic, meaning, you know, you don't, they don't have to switch point of sale systems. Talk to me about that a little bit more. Are you, are you saying that Ticket is actually like integrated into other point of sale systems? Or are you saying somehow it operates outside of that? Or what do you mean by that exactly?
3: Ticket op- operates outside the existing POS system. It's a direct connection to the, the printer or the KDS system or an app that can run on the expeditor unit. Other POS systems, we're currently working on integrations into uh, two other POS systems besides ours, and we have others that are queued up, where they are also able to make calls into into Ticket and get all the order information for reporting purposes. Um, They can also get their full reporting on our system, on our backend system as well.
0: So let's talk about that a little bit more, because, again, to me, I'm trying to picture how that would be. That sounds almost in some ways I could see how that could be a little um, challenging to explain to the restaurant owner, because, of course, they probably already have a kitchen printer that's that's printing from the point of sale system. So Mm -hmm. how does this work? So let's say I'm a I'm a, you know, a patron. I'm sitting at the table. I'm like, okay, I want to add, you know, a a side of shrimp or something like that. And the merchant currently is using, say, Aldelo or something like that what does this flow look like? How do you know, how does this end up? Cause at some point it does have to make it into the point of sale for the final order. So tell me more about how that would actually work.
3: Um, so what the first thing we do is we swap, we swap out that printer for a cloud-based printer. Okay. So it allows us to, commun- to communicate to that printer via the cloud. Okay. Most restaurant management systems can also support a cloud-based printer. So okay. they would also talk to that printer via the cloud. So that's the first thing we do now. We are not reporting today into companies like Adelo, but we make a API call available to them if they want to make that call into the system and and pull that data. Not unlike what, they, what the restaurants did with Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub. Mm-hmm. Their delivery systems, they give them a, de- a device that they can get that data on, or the, re- the POS can make a call and pull that data. Sure.
0: Okay. And so now one thing I think that would be really crucial for our audience to understand, though, I would imagine that in that particular scenario, the payment processing then would not be running through Ticket there, right? The server, somebody would be, like in this case, manually entering it or using the API call, but they'd be bringing the data into the point of sale. But then the payment processing would still be running through the point of sale with the original payment processor.
3: So, James, that's a great question because Ticket is payment process agnostic. So whether they're making the payment on the on the customer device or right. they're making it into a POS the agent gets to decide who they want to use the, which processor they want to use. So we'll support we support 120 different gateways today. Okay. So okay. if that processor has a connection into the gateway they're using their own merchant account. We, we're continuing to remain process agnostic on this. Sure.
0: I, I understand. I think, yeah, I, I got it. I think it's really interesting. Okay, so.
1: So, but so, to, actually help me for a second, because I'm still yeah, a ahead, little sir. bit unclear on this, if you don't mind. So basically you're saying you have to have some sort of API that will link, link the orders that are in ticket to the POS so that the sale can be rung up?
3: No, if you want your data to show up in the POS reporting system, uh-huh. the POS system would have an API. If okay. you want to just have the data showing up as it normally does on the back end,
1: uh-huh. uh,
3: then we have we provide all of that reporting to you, Got both you. on phone apps as well as on uh, tablets as well as on uh, on the console. Okay. okay. In a back office, so we have multiple forms of reporting that are available to the to the merchant.
1: Uh-huh.
3: It, it's just that if they say specifically, I have a POS and I wanted to show up in my POS, like we are, we have our roadmap in the first quarter of this year to release integrations into Clover and Skytap, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, where it, those that information will be available on those devices. right which
0: makes sense since those are your it seems like you're definitely going to go after the uh, point of cell systems that are more in the iso agent uh space domain yeah 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 yeah, i like that
1: can i also just throw in a question i think and i correct me if i'm wrong we can you know i've been wrong before uh, but (laughs) i thought i saw on your website an roi calculator is that something that isos and agents are using with their clients
3: Yes, uh, the ROI calculator is is pretty interesting because it considers um, the lift in sales. Uh-huh. It okay. considers the the elimination of comps and order erroring in okay. order errors, and it also uh, considers the savings in labor. Um, so, an ISO can go in and they could put in their put in a restaurant's name, put in the the owner's email address, put in their email address, mm-hmm. and hit the and hit calculate, and it will generate a um, email to uh-huh. the merchant as well as to the ISO. Love it.
0: love it. So yeah, that's we've, really cool. we've been kind of tiptoeing around the ISO agent model quite a bit here. So let's talk about that. So what's, what's the rationale for the ISO and agent, you know, they're out there in the field, they're running across restaurants. They want us, they want, you know, point of sale solutions that they can offer, um, you know, talk to us about what's in it for the ISO and agent, and maybe even also touch on um, cash discounting since that's a really hot topic as well. And how that's, you know, is that something that sounds like you've got that integrated and set up to work well within your system also?
3: Yeah, so here's what we have integrated into our system. We have the ability to add a fee into our system, whether it is a convenience fee, whether it is a fee for
1: non cash adjustment or non cash adjustment, right? Whether it's, yeah,
3: or or it could even be a fee, for example, in San Francisco, most restaurants have a health and benefit fee. So, Mm -hmm. and you can have multiple fees show up in the same uh, invoice as well. So, Mm -hmm. the ability to put in any kind of fee that the merchant wants exists today we're assuming we're not taking um the issue of compliance doesn't fall on us it's going to be understand on market, make sure they're right. compliant. Sure. but they no can no add no. any fee that they want from an iso agent perspective it's a way for them to do one of two things a uh, i'm sure by now every agent knows about the doordash acquisition of eBot. so it allows them one to secure their current processing base to make sure because no agent all of a sudden wants to take the 37% cut. I won't talk about how I got that number, but (laughs) the residual value. Uh, But secondly, it also allows them to go after business that they have solicited before where the merchant says, look, I don't want to change my POS system. You don't have to change the POS system. This is a better ordering and and fulfillment system that allows your service to make more, that allows you to sell more, and you don't need to change your."
1: Yeah, yeah, cool.
3: So it's still residual driven, and they also have the ability to mark up ticket fees. Sure. So
1: is it like a is it like a a, a monthly fee or is it a, a, a device fee? How does how, does, how does it's, that
3: go? It's, with? we we give each agent the ability to set their own path. They get to pick one of three programs. They can either go with a flat monthly fee, but some of our partners prefer to go with a no monthly fee but a percentage fee on. On the ticket sale. So we allow them to go whichever way they want to go on that. Okay,
1: cool. Now, and, and we
3: also, I'm sorry. Go
1: ahead. No, I was going to say,
3: because we're doing a 90 day free trial for every merchant that comes on, ISOs are typically gravitating to the no monthly fee so that they can just sort of have the merchant kick tires without right. any loss whatsoever. Yeah, that makes
1: sense. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, I know I I wanted to, you know, zero in on Ticket for this interview, but when I was doing some research on on your company, I also came upon another technology that I thought was really cool, and I just was hoping you could touch on it really briefly, and that's the uh, RFID checkout system for uh, sporting um, venues. Uh, Can you talk about that a bit?
3: Yeah. uh, Again, uh, you know, one of the things that I feel is just probably the most impressive thing about us, if I could. say that, is the pioneering work that our research and development team has done in order management. That RFID uh, solution, which allows a the, the, um, a fan to walk around the stadium, put things in their bags, then take their bag and drop it in a box that is read by an RFID reader that immediately rings it up on the sale.
1: That's uh, so cool. <laughs> it is really cool.
3: I mean, uh, when, we, when we first uh, put this in the New York Islanders, they tested it on six BOS machines that were run by one cashier. I mean, it was a it was a massive reduction in staff. Um, yeah, and that whole RFID technology uh, spread everywhere, not just in stadiums, right. but even in regular. Oh yeah, sure. Stores. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and just when you did, did that example, it made me chuckle because when I was in college, one of the ways I made money was by selling food at sporting events. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah. And back in the old days, they would like load up your your chest and, you know, they'd say, OK, this chest is fifty dollars worth of food. Whatever you make over 50 is yours. You know, uh, <laughs> things have come a long way since the 1970s.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so. So I just I want to clarify that a bit because, I mean, that's actually a pretty amazing thing there. I mean, it, I what if I'm understanding what you just said, I mean, this is kind of similar to some of these uh, Amazon I was thinking uh, the same thing. stores, yeah. right, where this kind of self-checkout uh you know concept but this is something that's for ISOs and agents that they can resell to their merchants. I mean may, I'm sure you've done a lot of research on Amazon. I mean h- how does your you know kind of system stack up there? Is there some similarities? Is there some big differences as far as the way Amazon's trying to kind of fully automate yeah, the this Amazon checkout
3: process?
1: Stores or whatever they call
3: yeah the Amazon goes through so yeah it, we it's it's pretty interesting. They Amazon works off a of planogram typically uh in that uh, and 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 they don't require any RFID tagging on their product. Okay. Uh, they're doing so. They're doing recognition of the of the packaged goods. Uh, and I'm I'm overly simplifying their technology. Of course. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and uh, we work off an RFID chip because what we are doing is not just at the checkout. We also want to do the whole cycle of of warehouse management. Um, because if you have someone with um, 100,000 pieces in the warehouse, you literally walk around with the scanner and wave it as you walk down the aisles and you've done your inventory count. We're also trying to do cycle count uh, validation. So we've kind of, because we play, a, a, these solutions are primarily meant for retail, uh, we've really tried to deal with the whole inventory management piece as well.
1: So does that mean it has to be sort of a a, a scenario where there isn't uh, like thousands of SKUs or would
3: it still work in that kind of situation? It would still work in that kind of, in that kind of, we, we did a test with a customer who had 50,000 SKUs and they probably had 800,000 items. And it took, I think maybe six minutes to count the whole warehouse. Wow. It was basically as long as they took them to to walk and walk wait. up
1: and down the aisles. Right? And they had
3: two people walking down the aisles. One started from the north, one started from the south, and they just zigzag through the whole thing. And then we take that data, we we uh we clean it up so we remove all the duplicates and then the counts. So,
0: we should, we'll have to do a follow up podcast at some point, talk about this more. Yeah, but, I'd like to
1: do that some more. But, yeah. But
0: just one last question on this because I honestly don't even know the answer to this. I probably should. But when you say an RFID, what is that? I mean, I'm, it sounds like you're saying it's some kind of smart tagging that's on like the product. Yeah, it's a, yeah, sort, it's a right? smart
3: tagging and they're printed on zebra uh, tag printers that, you know, they're low cost, it's a low cost delivery system okay. off a smart tag. I'm going to no, start using that. By the way, smart QRC and smart tagging.
0: Hey there, I like it. It's good. So you got your restaurant and your retail covered with a smart yep, concept. I'll, so. I'll, I'll
3: credit you. I'll say. Okay. That. And so when someone <laughs> interviews me and says, "How'd you come up with this?" I'll go, "Well, oh, James." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Tagging yeah. It'll say uh, next time. It'll <laughs> say. Uh, yeah. He'll he'll be saying it's a smart tag uh, trademark pending. And so, uh, yeah, I like it. So good stuff. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. This has been really good stuff. I really enjoy it, Kevin. I'm I'm sure there's folks out there. That are going to want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing over at Retail Cloud, uh, you know, maybe some of your other tech offerings, or certainly to talk more about the ticket and the RFID thing, where would you send them?
3: I, I would send them to uh, either retailcloud.com or just send an email to our sales team at sales at retailcloud.com. Okay. Um, and they will give you all the information you want. Plus,
1: excellent. And that's retailcloud.com, all one word, retail. All cloud. one word,
3: yep, retailcloud.com.
1: Well Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today I, I know I came away learning some new stuff yeah. I think James did too stuff. and yep. uh, I, I look forward to chat with you in the future I think uh, we have some interesting you have some interesting things going on well folks by this time I'm sure you know that our that our podcast is sponsored by Valor Paytech, the leader in omnichannel solutions you know one of the th- reasons James and I really like, uh Valor PayTech is that they check all the boxes. Don't you don't you agree, James?
0: They absolutely do. You know, boxes like cash discounting. Check. Smart terminals. Check. Virtual terminals. Check. Standalone terminals. Check. omni-channel, Check. Processor agnostic. Check. Text invoices. Check. Email invoices. Check. Customer feedback. C- check. And I think you get the idea. We could go on for quite some (laughs) time with more more boxes. But But, uh, Patty and I thought of that little idea we wanted to share with you because we really do love our sponsor, Valor Paytech. We believe in them. There's a reason that we have them as our sponsor. Go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor. If you get value from these podcasts and you enjoy listening to them, as I know many of you do on a regular basis, we appreciate you. And in return, we have a very small favor to ask. Go to ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R or even better, if you're going to be going to the ETA, the NEAA, the, you know, MWAA, the uh, Southeastern Acquirers, look them up. It's not hard to look them up because they have the biggest booth and they're the you know, sponsor of all of these events. So look them up for sure.
1: Hey, and if I can just throw in a little ad, I will be at the NEAA. So if you have any questions from the field, be sure to stop me and I'll bring them back to James.
2: Nice. Thanks, Patty. Uh-huh. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepherd.
0: Patty, today, questions from the field. I wanna talk about a very interesting um, question. This is really more my question, I guess, than it is the agent's question. But I'm noticing a bit of a challenge as I'm dealing with ISOs in this kind of changing payments landscape. And the challenge I'm facing is the reality of the independent sales representative and how to get them going. And then the other reality of the fact that payments are changing more to integrated payments. And so to be really specific here, what I'm saying is when I talk to everybody and I say, Hey, how important do you think it's going to be that five years from now, the vast majority of your portfolio has integrated payments with some kind of point of sale system or, you know, uh, software of some kind. And, you know, the executives are saying it's the most important thing. And then I'm saying, okay how are you training your sales representatives to sell integrated payments? And they're all saying, you know, well, it's, it's hard. You know, it's like, well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, but you got to figure it out, you know? So I have, I have two thoughts here that I just want to kind of throw out there and, you know, I'm throwing it out into the ether to see if anybody picks up on it and and maybe can use this idea to make some money. So I I have two ideas. Okay. Number one, what about no matter what size your ISO is, you know, if you've got any kind of sales reps out in the field, what about hiring one or more farmers? Okay. And so anybody that understands sales, you understand that there's hunters and farmers hunters are what we would consider the typical merchant services sales representative. They go out in the field, they try to make a sale, right? They're hunting, they're hunting, hunting. And these hunters typically want something simple to sell because they're just trying to get a yes. So they don't want something big and complicated. But then you have this whole other, you know, group of farmers, these these types of agents that are really good at taking an existing relationship, developing that relationship into something more. Well, I really believe that there is a place that most of these processing companies, uh, and again, I'm talking about even even smaller ISOs, all the way up to the largest, you know, uh, uh, FSPs and everything. You know, there's a place here to hire W-2 farmers. They get paid some commission, some salary, and where – there's a relationship between them and this independent agent in terms of compensation. Uh Now, again, the challenge here is, well, this agent made a sale and they sold a standalone terminal and they're getting, you know, this residual percentage. So as a company, we're only getting X percent. Well, if we hire a farmer to go sell that person a point of sale system, what are we going to pay the farmer? And, and I think what, what's missing here is we're missing the effects of attrition on this financial model. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not just about what you would gain by having the farmer. It's about what you wouldn't lose.
1: Right. Right. Right?
0: And a lot of times selling these software solutions comes with software fees and hardware fees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the idea here would be that you look at the, you know, to the agent, you know, if, if I'm an agent, right. And I'm selling merchant services today. I also understand that I am a, a somewhat of a dinosaur here in terms of technology. Like I'm still putting these standalone terminals out and I realize that every time I sell a standalone terminal, that merchant is going to switch devices in the next 36 months, whether it's with me or somebody else, I realize mm-hmm. that's gonna happen. Right. So what I would prefer is if my processing company would come in behind me mm-hmm. and upsell my merchants to better technology, Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm going to maybe get a little spiff or or at least I'm going to keep my exact same residual. So in other words, this isn't costing me anything, but right. it's dramatically increasing my retention.
1: Right, right. Right. And retention is the name of the game.
0: It is. Um, and again, I think even short term. I think with things like, you know, equipment leases, which have got a bad rap in the past and, you know, whether it's a rental or whatever, but the idea of equipment and software as a service, I'm I'm not talking about the terminal here, although I think that's fine. I'm talking about the point of sale system. I'm talking about the the $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 purchase that's financed over a period of time using some kind of software as a service or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, There's real money to be made in this. Oh yeah. Right. And so for the processor to come in, I think you could you know, I well I know you could have done the models, but you could justify that W2 that you know, that 50-60,000 a year plus base right. uh, plus commission mm-hmm. person and they get that 50-60,000 a year plus they get a small commission off of the software and hardware that they're selling,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Um and now they're making things a lot better. So I I think that's a really really good idea. Um and it should be explored. The other one is this idea that As salespeople get better and you got that salesperson, they're selling 10, 15 a month. They're they're good at what they do. Um, Bringing them in and saying, hey, we would like to partner with you to go after self-storage units in your area. We would like to partner with you to go after pizza shops, to go after hair salons, picking a vertical bringing that person in and saying, you know, let's form a, let's form a joint venture of some kind here as a processing company. You're going to get your residual. It's going to be maybe a little less than you normally would because the processor is going to leverage their marketing team, right? To market this and to promote this brand in the local market and to generate leads for the salesperson. They're going to have some possible. Yes. They're going to have some training. They're going to have, you know, so, you know, understanding that the salesperson Again, if you have somebody that's capable of doing this, well, they don't have the resources to do it. They may have the skills, but they don't have the resources, meaning they may even have the money, but they don't have the ability or the skill or the inclination to manage a team of people and have a developer and have a marketing team and all that. But as the processing company, the large ISO, you probably do have all of those resources and you have the ability to to organize it. So what about bringing these people in and saying, okay, you got your first 60 deals under your belt. Is there a certain vertical that you really like? Is there a certain opportunity that you want to go after? Okay, let's form a joint venture. We're going to help you attack that vertical. And so the idea is we mm-hmm. we know how this is going to play out. Everybody knows. Right, sure. Not a secret. Like, are, are, is there anybody listening right now that doesn't understand that payments is becoming verticalized and that it's becoming integrated? Like, I think we all know this. Yeah. You know, and so the question is, what are we doing about it? And I think the two things that we could do or that we should explore, depending on your organization and all that, and, and what I'm exploring with my consulting clients is, number one, let's let's create our room of farmers um, to farm our existing accounts and make them more profitable and make them, uh, you know, higher retention. And then number two, let's think about forming partnerships with slightly lower residual splits with the agents but justifying the investment in infrastructure mm-hmm. to take your agents. You know, if you're listening and you got a big ISO, you know what I'm talking about. You have 10 or 15 agents that you're friendly with. They know you, they trust you, you trust mm-hmm. them. They're, they're, they've, got a, they've got 15, 20,000 a month residual. Like, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they have the skill to, to do this. Why don't you help them make the pivot before they really do become a dinosaur and they start losing their portfolio at 30% a year as everybody's switching to integrated payments. Why don't you help them go ahead and make that switch Help them focus on one vertical. Get them trained. Get them the resources they need. So, again, some random ideas today. I know that this is these are crazy ideas that like nobody's doing, but hopefully somebody will listen to this and say maybe hey, I'll explore that's this. an
1: idea to explore. Yeah. yeah, good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks, buddy.
2: This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
1: So James, you may recall, and our audience may recall, that I reported um, recently on a planned advertising blitz. By retailers hoping to uh stave off interchange hikes, right? Oh right. Yes. Yes. Remember that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, I live in the DC, I mean I don't live in DC, but I get the DC television channel, shall we say? Sure, sure. Um, uh, close enough. And I haven't seen any of those ads yet. But okay. what I did see and what really piqued my interest was a interview with Rohit Chopra. He's the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Okay. An interview they did on um, Closing Bell on CNBC. Sure. Okay. I mean, I know you watch that as well as me. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, we're always into these things, but sure. So um, he, um, you know, he was asked what the bureau can do to protect consumers um, better in this time of of growing inflation, and part of his answer was directed right at Mastercard and Visa. Really? He said, "Quote." I, I I I was going to share the clip with everybody, but it's a little bit too much back and forth. So yeah, I took sure, out the, sure. the most the important The details. Sure. Right. He said, I don't think we have a competitive payment system in this country. We're far behind many other countries. Uh, he says he's especially troubled by reports that many interchange rates might go up in April. I mean, again, we're still not totally aware of what Visa right. and MasterCard are planning, but he said, quote, at a time of inflation, that just seems like adding insult to injury for many small businesses. Many, you know, and then he added that, of course, many businesses can't survive, but they don't accept Visa and MasterCard, so they kind of have them over a barrel. Right. So, pre- so the interviewers pressed him on whether there's anything the government can do to intervene. And he said, quote, when prices rise in tandem by dominant firms... That always raises red flags for regulators. Yeah. Yeah, that's something you and I yeah. have talked about oh, my. in the
0: past. Well, I'm hearing, um, so first of all, did you see this the uh, story about Visa coming out and saying that they're going to potentially do a 10% decrease?
1: Well, yeah, and I think I reported on that actually. Oh, that's I? right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So,
0: like, so we, you, you already have that coming potentially. Now, I don't know. Right. I haven't seen right. the we final version. don't know
1: for real or not, but yeah. Right.
0: I have a feeling they're going to monkey with something else to offset or whatever. But at any rate, they've talked about that. Um, and then I just saw a story a couple of days ago that was a bit concerning. Actually, I mean, um, it was about regulation and uh, that I, apparently there's there's talks active right now in Congress about regulating yes. Credit card interchange, as well as uh, as debit, you know, with the Durbin Amendment, a kind of a kind of a you know extension of the Durbin Amendment and and things of that nature.
1: In fact, there was a editorial in the Hill, which is a newspaper that well, it's online now, but it was a newspaper that went out mostly to people in Washington, and and Mm -hmm. somebody did a a uh, editorial saying that's the worst idea possible. Don't dare do this. Which when I see people doing that, that made me sit up and take notice. And then I saw Chopra say this. It was like, yeah. yeah, I think there's some mumblings in Washington that could could yeah, I really do. pose some real problems for yeah. Visa and MasterCard.
0: It, it, um, it, and again, for our audience to understand the implication here, you know, if – so here's what happens, right? So let's say that, you know, new regulation comes out slashing the cost of interchange. Well, that's going to be a big win for Walmart and Amazon and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the large corporations. Um sure. The small mom and pop shops that are, you know, currently with Square or whoever else, Stripe, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. or with any of you, um, they may or may not see those savings, depending on the pricing structure that you have them on. Right. And so what we could potentially be looking at here is, as Congress realizes that these savings are not making their way to the merchant, well, who are they going to regulate next? Now they're going to regulate ISOs and and processors and acquiring banks. And so, so it's, it's one of these things where I'm always torn about this issue, Patty, because I do believe that Visa and MasterCard are engaged in what amounts to collusion uh, of, for almost monopoly and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely anti-competitive practices that should be checked, but Mm -hmm. I'm a little worried about the slippery slope that that exists. And I, I wish that they would take note and make some changes on their own to Keep this well, regulation that's what from I being necessary. Hoping, I that, really like, wish you they know, would keep
1: this from being necessary because it shouldn't go down to the ISOs and the acquirers. And on the same token, you know, I, you know, we both know that I'm a little bit further left along the political spectrum than you are. Right. Um. Uh, but I was, you know, I was, I lived through price controls back in the seventies. Okay. You know, and that's basically what we're talking about here right, is price right, controls right. and you know when nixon instituted price controls back in the early 70s during the spiraling inflation that accompanied the war um it was supposed to bring down inflation and it practically doubled inflation so right. there's right. no economic sense in my mind to yeah. to any kind of federal price controlling and yeah. you know but on the other hand, I see where these guy, where these lawmakers are coming from, they have all these people complaining. they have you know separate constituencies, constituencies, right. the banks, the retailers, and the consumers. And right. how do they juggle it and satisfy all those constituencies?. Yeah.
0: And you know and what I would love to see as an interesting um, you know first step would be just a you know kind of a freedom and transparency and payments act. That's there's mm-hmm. a good name for a law.
1: Isn't that not that a great idea? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so
0: t- to me, the idea of, hey, let's let's forget about all this. You know, to me, surcharging, cash discounting, call it whatever you want, do whatever you want. Let's let's open it up to the free market and let's see what the free market can do with this. Right. Because, you know, again, a lot of these larger companies that are now starting to be interested in cash discounting, the only real barrier now to these programs taking off at that level is all of these kind of ambiguous laws and restrictions and and Mm -hmm. all of this. And Mm -hmm. the courts have already ruled that it's a violation of free speech. And so I would love to see Congress take action at the federal level and just say, look, from a federal level, you know, merchants can price however they want relative to the form of payment. If they want to encourage it, if they want to discourage it, if they want to take more cash, less cash, more cards, less cards, we don't care, do whatever you want. And let's let the free market decide. And then the transparency that says, the card brands have to. I, I've been a big proponent of this for a long time. I think the card brand should have to send the interchange rate information back with the authorization code.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree. think that. No, I think that's. A, I think that would be a very helpful. Yeah. I, I also think that you know, it, I was thinking about this when I was you know watching the sh- uh, the CNBC clip, right. and um, you know, it struck me that. You know, okay, as a merchant, being able to, um, you know, manage your cash flow becomes difficult when you don't know what interchange you're paying on each transaction. Exactly. Which, in my mind, is all the more reason for one flat rate a la cash discount.
0: Yeah, well, Well. and again, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, to me, what, what would be the, in my opinion, the ideal solution here, okay, would mm-hmm. be imagine if we could do, and again, I know a lot of people are going to say this is a horrible idea. I'm, uh, to be clear, I'm not saying this is what I want to do today. I'm just saying right. where I would we're love just to saying see this, that this is
1: a possibility. Yeah. This is just an idea.
0: What would be interesting to me is something like an interchange plus cash discounting program or mm-hmm. surcharge program. So mm-hmm. the idea would be if Visa and MasterCard were required to send interchange rate information through with the authorization code, mm-hmm. then the terminal could take that, add 100 basis points. And literally pass that through to the consumer to say, this is your, like, literally on the receipt, this is the rate Mm -hmm. that we had to pay, plus our processing fee, and, and literally give that level of transparency. And I think what would happen is, I think, you know, consumers would start to become much more aware of this, businesses would become aware, and I think there'd be a whole kind of generation of technology that would be developed around this concept of, oh, wow, we actually now know how much this transaction really does cost. Well, now we can use that information to do various different things. And again, what those would be, I don't even know right now, but I'm sure the entrepreneurs and innovators would would come in and figure something out. But I think that transparency coupled with a complete freedom of speech on pricing, Mm -hmm. those two things together, I think would be all that to me, that's the ideal scenario to where then let's let the free market decide. Whatever it's going to build, it's going to build. Whatever business owners want, they're going to right. want. Whatever people are going to develop, they're going to develop. But let's just say there's freedom of speech and and there's transparency in the data, and then let the chips fall where they fall. And I don't think right. any regulation would be needed at that
1: point. I think you're right. I think when you couple that, also when you couple something like that with the emergence of real time payments, exactly, you know, right? Well, less- well, which of
0: course we yeah. we ha- you know in this context we have,
1: right. You know what I mean? Credit and
0: debit, yeah. we we have real time payments relative to what the consumer is experiencing.
1: Right, relative to the consumer, but for the merchant, there's yes. still a lot of friction. Uh, oh yeah, you know? agreed. agreed. And I think that that's where it comes in. You know, the yeah. You know, when you and, and and there are you know there are we've talked about it before. There are several of these you know innovations that are emerging in the mar- in the market right now that, and I think that some of it is uh, making Visa, and Mastercard nervous. Yeah. you know so I mean I I think it's really interesting I watch you know the stocks all the time and um, you know Visa, MasterCard, PayPal they've all been taking hits lately yep
0: yeah I think there's a lot of growing kind of
1: uncertainty like the legacy people are you know the, Mm -hmm. the new investors are sort of looking at the legacy players and saying this just doesn't seem to be working right you know
0: right well or that it's almost working too well as far as from a profitability perspective that like you know I mean, yeah. again, regulation would be a, you know, body blow to Visa and MasterCard. Sure I mean, it would be sure massive. Word. And, and, and yeah. these investors have a clear idea. I mean, they can look around the world and see exactly how this played exactly. out for like all happening. the players. Right. And so they know exactly the, the worst case scenario. They know exactly what that looks like. So they're able to, you know, calculate that into their ROI as they're thinking about making an investment. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So good stuff, Patty. Very yeah. good. Thanks, James.